from Carry the Load, these are Lessons from the Front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. One of the many ways Marines get subcategorized is into Field Marines and Garrison Marines. When you're playing the part of a Field Marine, you're out training in the rain and the mud and sleeping under the stars and eating chow from a plastic bag. You travel light and you freeze at night. Showers and sleep are minimal and shaving with cold water is the norm. When you come out of the field, you're back in what we call garrison. And a good garrison Marine is that individual who might show up on a recruiting poster because, well, they look the part. Everything is shined and pressed and they could easily be accused of being a Marine. As a Marine, you're expected to be good at both, but believe it or not, not every Marine is good at doing both roles. As an officer, if I could only have one, I'd take a good field Marine every time because these are the ones who exist to do the difficult things that have to be done. The unpleasant and uncomfortable things that keep our families safe. Now, I didn't serve with Stephen Burlingame, but I served with Marines like him. The kind of Marine who politicians like to put behind a piece of glass with a sign that reads, only break glass in time of war. The kind you never wanted to fight, you only wanted to fight for or with. They are one of the last ones you'd pick for a diplomatic dinner, but when diplomacy breaks down, they are at the front of the line. Marines like B-game are what we call a Marine's Marine. They tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. They're more loyal to the cause than a founding father, and they're true warriors in the sense of Spartans. For this interview, if you're offended by foul language, well, here's your warning. So whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on any of our podcast mediums, please remember to like, share, review, and subscribe. These stories and the journeys of our protectors need to be heard in their own words. Please help us share and spread their stories. We'd also like to thank our many sponsors and supporters who help us make this happen, especially to our friends at Texas Capital Bank who are recognized by Newsweek as America's number one most trusted bank. Don't believe me? Go check out texascapitalbank.com and see for yourself. I'm your host, Todd Boating, and I welcome you to my very candid, no apologies conversation with Stephen Burlingame. And if anybody ever tells you that they weren't scared, they're, they're full of it. They're full of shit. Uh, but you have to look past your own fear. You have to look past the fear that you have that something might happen to your Marines. And you take that mission that you're given and you accomplish it. There is no, we're going to try, we are going to accomplish it by any means necessary. And that means by any means necessary. Yeah, I mean, you don't really realize it until you are in that situation where you know in your head that I'm going to send these two guys, you know, into harm's way. And yeah, one or both of them might not come back. Did that happen to you? Uh, we did have quite a few injuries. Uh, I will say this right now and something that I will take to my grave that I'm very proud of. My unit, we did not have one KIA. We brought every Marine back. We might have not brought them back whole. They might have been in pieces, but we brought everyone back alive. And I will take that to my grave. And I would like to think that maybe some of that leadership that I got from those senior Marines along the way, as well as the Marines that I was serving with, I'd served with some great Marines that they had picked up some great leadership as well. But I would like to think that that leadership that we got from our previous leadership helped help make that happen. 
What was one of those days where they didn't come back whole? Uh, well, Schick, uh, a lot of us, a lot of your listeners know uh, Jacob Schick. Uh, we were out on a regular operation in Dulab. Uh, his platoon was uh, tasked with, you know, checking on the OPs. Uh, it was a typical day. We were just sitting out there in the desert cooking. Uh, we were, my, my guys were on uh, QRF. They were out. Q QRF being quick, quick reaction, reaction force. Correct. So quick reaction force. Explain to people real quick though what a QRF is. QRF is when the flag, you know, when the flag goes up, you know, there's Marines in trouble. There's Marines in trouble. There's coalition forces in trouble. And your sole mission in life is to get there and get there quickly and violently, and end whatever uh, issues they're having. Uh, we got the salute report. Uh, came over the radio that. We didn't know at the time if it was an IED or if they hit a pressure plate. Later on, we'd find out that it was a pressure plate. Uh, we instantly, you know, went into, okay, typically when something like that happens, there's a follow-up, you know, small arms fire, RPG, you know, close ambush. That wasn't the case for that particular incident. Uh, we got there, obviously Schick was in a bad state. Uh, still to this day, I'll never forget, you know, seeing the amount of blood that he lost. Uh, it did take quite a while for the uh, the medevac to get on 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 station. Uh, we gave him morphine, tourniquets, you know. And in my head, I was already preparing for the worst to explain to my Marines that you know we lost one today. Um, you know, after the smoke settled and we did get chick off, you know. We didn't, I didn't think he was going to make it. Obviously, we weren't going to say that out loud, you know, you hope for the best. But the mission didn't end because shit got carried off the battlefield. That mission continued. You know, those guys that were in that truck, Duncan and those and, and the dudes, those dudes had to get back into another truck and carry on the rest of the day, man. And that right there always kind of stuck out to me that those guys, man, they were 18, 19 years old, man, were willing to get back into that, you know, not that truck that was blown up, but another truck and carry on that mission of the day. As a leader, what is your, what's going through your yeah. mind? How do I tell this young man? <laughs> when you're in that position, man, I mean, you're, you're mom and dad to these guys, you know, I mean, mom and dad are back home, but you're, you are mom and dad on the battlefield. You know, you do have, yeah, we, we console each other, you know, we don't talk about it, but yeah, we, we console each other. Hey bro, you know, yeah, this sucks, you know, but I got your back. You know, if anything happens to you, I'm going to be there for you. We have to continue to push on and it's going to get a lot nastier. It's going to get a lot worse. We're going to have more bad days at the office than just today. It's not going to stop. This is just the beginning. And I remember that night coming back and, and sitting with the Marines and, and sitting with my squad. And, you know, you have all kinds of different emotions going on. And, uh, and just going back down to the core value of a Marine, an infantry Marine, is we're going to get payback. We're going to go out and hurt those people that did that to our Marine. We're going to go out there and do damage. We're going to erase those people off the face of the earth because that's what we do and that's what we came here to do and just kind of beating that into their head that this is why we're here that, I mean that was a reality call that was a wake up that was our first incident that we had on that deployment uh was the day that sh that shit got hurt and I think that kind of drove it home to some of the younger marines that wow we we really are in in war <laughs> you know and people are going to get hurt people are going to lose their lives 
but you so know, so that was the first casualty that the unit. Yeah, that was our first first guy that got wounded was Schick. And how long had you been in country? Uh, man, I want to say three or four weeks. Man, we hadn't been in country very long, and you know, we were taking baby steps, and uh, the tempo of that deployment definitely sped up that following day. Uh, how so? Uh, well, believe it or not, the our leadership decided that they were going to take a more aggressive stance in our AO. And so, yeah, we started punching out, you know, looking for those enemy positions. And, you know, we didn't go out and try to make friends. We went out there and tried to eliminate the enemy. And that was our sole purpose after shit got hurt was to go out and eliminate the enemy. So that maybe, maybe that one guy that we put down, you know, isn't a trigger man for the next patrol going out. You know, you never know. But yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing seeing these Marines, you know, cause you get a sense of fear, like shit, is this going to happen to us on our patrol? You know, where's the next mine, you know, because you know, it was a pressure plate that he went over. You can't detect that, you know, not in that, not in that environment. So two to three weeks in, in, in the country, you experience your first combat and was that the first combat you'd ever experienced? Personally, yeah, personally. Uh, and so, know, we, how did that change your approach? Starting the next day, how you looked at things, how you tasked your Marines on a patrol, how you tasked them with anything. How did that change you? Communication was was on the top of my priorities as far as getting that information to the Marines because, you know, you, you alleviate the scuttlebutt, the rumors, the you know this and that. You know, we're going. You know, you get rid of all that. And just be open and honest, you know, yeah, we are going to go into, you know, following that mission we went into hit. And uh, there was a little bit of misconception of what that mission was going to be. So, you know, we as NCOs went back, got as much information as we could get to br bring that back to the Marines and say, look, yeah, this is where we're going. This is the climate of that area. And uh, yeah, we are going to be in the hornet's nest. So when you went to, when you went into hit and ultimately experienced the battle of hit, what was your expectation? Based, based on what your commanders had given you, what was your expectation? Uh, I was pretty cocky as a young Marine. I mean, I was 27, 28, I was a little bit older and I had full belief in my Marines and the, and the ferocious, violence that they brought with them uh i'll say it but uh yeah we went in there to fuck them up and i knew we were going to go in there and fuck them up and that's exactly what we did and it was a bloodbath and the marines performed probably even greater than i would have ever expected and i still get goosebumps i mean i was fortunate to be like the orca constructor <laughs> to the most kick-ass band to ever fucking play and those dudes, man, I mean, they pulled off some of the most unbelievable actions, you know, and it's just... Like what? Give me an example. You got a kid that's 18 years old, man. He just got out of high school, SOI, and now he's on a battlefield, and these dudes are doing IA drills, man. This is stuff that we studied at 29 Palms. I, IA being immediate action. Immediate action. Their training, you're watching their training take over. You're watching the training take over. And when you see it happen and everything's starting to click on all cylinders, like I said, it, it, I mean, you're just an orchid constructor, man. You have to take a step back and let, 
let your devils eat. You know, when I was a younger Marine, you know, I was a knucklehead, you know, up until I was about a E3, you know, Lance Corporal. I was, a, I was the poster child Lance criminal. And uh, yeah, it took, you know, Sergeant Hickman, you know, Corporal Van Ling, Corporal Brito, you know, my senior Marines to, you know, smack me upside the head, maybe some wall-to-wall -wall counseling, some, you know, tree line uh, counseling, tree line counseling. <laughs> you know, it kind of squared me away. But once I figured out, like, and, and then just engulfed myself in that warrior culture, man, and I started studying my craft, you know, this wasn't just a guy in the military. I was studying the craft, the art. And, uh, you know, it's not just a bunch of guys, you know, grabbing their guns and running towards the bullets and shooting. No, there's, there's a lot more to it. And, uh, well, to be successful and survive, correct. There is a lot more. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that we're seeing in, in Russia right now. Absolutely. Ukraine. Absolutely. You know, I mean, look at big, bad Russia, you know, having a little bit of difficult, you know, difficulties with the Absolutely. little old Ukraine there, but you know what? Maybe the Ukrainians have a little bit uh, more to fight for. Uh, so. there's, there's a lot more to, to be discussed off yeah, on that absolutely. one. Absolutely. But, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, our history as Marines. You know, we look, live and die by that. I mean, every November 10th, where are you at? You know, we're celebrating our birthday. It doesn't matter where we're at. As old as we get, you know. So there's that little sense of pride. There's that sense of we're not going to let down our forefathers, you know, our, our Marines that came before us. We're not going to let them down. And we are going to continue to lead by example, you know, as the most lethal military fighting force on the, on the planet. And yeah, that's going through your head. Absolutely. You know? Marines are uh, the loudest chest beaters, but there's a reason why, because we know we're the baddest, you know, and on that battlefield, we own it. We own that battlefield. And that's what I expected from every single one of my Marines was to own their little AO and they own that battlefield. And that's what they did. And, and sitting back and watching these guys conduct their operations was uh, something that, yeah, like I said, still gives me goosebumps. Still gives you man. goosebumps. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, my, my guess is that you were the, the young Lance Corporal that I used to counsel saying when they got promoted. Oh, yeah. And I would say, okay, <laughs> those, those cross rifles on your, on your sleeve, they represent... Uh, crossroads. Mm -hmm. Which road are you going down? The yep. good one or the bad one? Yeah. And it sounds like, though, in all seriousness, you were the the marine that 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 people said you put him in a box and you break glass in time of war. That's uh, is that is said, that a fair assessment? That's been said a few times. Uh, just because of my lapse in in time. Yeah, I, I, I was a warfighter marine. You know, when 9/11 happened, I was out. I was working at a strip club here in Dallas managing a, a you know a bar up here and uh i watched the towers come down and i took it personal just like you know everybody else that's probably listening to this and everybody out here but yeah i took it personal it, you came into our backyard and punched us in the face and i was going to do whatever i had to do to go over there and punch you back and uh you know getting back to the marine corps was not as easy as i thought but you know i was a marine on a mission uh Prior service wouldn't take me because of my tattoos. And um, wait a minute, prior service would not take you because yeah, of your tattoos. Yeah, 2001, the Marine Corps came out with the deal, you know, I guess below the elbows or something like that. And I, I was like, Gunny, I got all these while I was in the Marine Corps, man. And he was like, man, the Marine Corps is kind of cleaning up their image. So uh, well, they, I did they have lost a, that fight. Yeah, yeah, they lost that fight. Uh, I did have a lapse in judgment. I did uh, reach out to the Army. Uh, they were going to take me, uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm a Marine. I'm always going to be a Marine. You put me in that ground, I'm going to be in the ground as a Marine. 
and uh, I found through uh, a mutual friend, uh, you know, when you're in the military long enough, you, your friends go off to different units, and I had a, happened to have a friend with headquarters Marine Corps, and I was calling him every six hours, every six hours. I called my old units, you know, find out who was deploying, and he called me back and he goes, bro, he goes, I don't know what you feel about the reserves, but there's a reserve unit in Bossier City, Louisiana, that's gonna be deploying. And I said, Bossier? I said, man, that's like four hours, bro. And I literally jumped in my little Honda Civic and went straight to Bossier City. And the first Marine that I ran into was a young sergeant. And, uh, you know, I'd show up, I got facial hair. He didn't know who the hell I am. You know, he thinks I'm there fixing a copier or something, you know? And uh, he goes, how can we help you? I said, you know, I need to talk to the first sergeant. He goes, okay, yeah, the you know, first sergeant's in his office. Never asked me what it was about. I walk into the first sergeant's office and I says, first sergeant, I said, I'm a prior service Marine. I'm a 2-5 Marine. I'm a Blackheart Marine. I served in 3-5 as well. I understand that you guys are deploying. I would like to deploy with you. And he's real raspy voice, you know, dope, dope, you know, you know, gives me the whole spiel. I'm motivated. Sends me to the, you know, the uh, rain room to get cleaned, cleaned up, showered up, you know, shaved and off to supply. And uh, yeah, that Marine, that first sergeant happened to be, uh, become a sergeant major and then became sergeant major of the Marine Corps, Sergeant Major Green. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He was the one that got me back into the Marine Corps. And uh, yeah, I owe all of it. All of any bit well, of glory I, mean, I had. Back you know what? He saw the initiative. You jumped in your car and you drove there and yeah, said, hey, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. in. Just I'll help in. me out. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to, to hit a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that was a hornet's nest. You described it. Correct. What? I mean, you also saw Fallujah. Mm -hmm. You also saw Ramadi. Correct. Out of the three of those, it seems like you talk about hit as being the real yeah, you know, because that was a lot of individual action. You know, Fallujah and Ramadi, we had, you know, we had air support. We had artillery. We had, you name it, we had it on call, man. It was a la carte. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, a huge difference. Uh, hit was a straight-up, bare-knuckle street fight, you know. It's just you and me. You and me, let's get it. And we knew, you know, the cavalry wasn't coming, and it's just going to be straight up, and we're going to knock this out and and kick your ass all the way back down to the river until you surrender and we'll see what happens after that. But yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely, I would say one of my finest hours in, in battle, you know, Fallujah, it, it just, yeah. I mean, Fallujah was wild, man. I mean, it, there's nothing you can take away from that. I mean, that was bullets were flying everywhere and, and you're kicking in doors left and right. I mean, just nonstop. I mean, it, it was just continuous. Uh, ended up getting wounded in, in Fallujah on the 11th, uh, but was able to come back. How, how'd, you, how'd you get injured? In oh, we were uh, conducting a foot patrol along the MSR, and we had gotten intel that... M MSR being a main supply route. Yeah, yeah, main supply route. So we had gotten intel that the uh, the Muj, or we, we call them Muj, Mujahideen, you know, the, the fighters, whatnot, were basically... They knew they were no match for us in the city. We'd proven that day one, that they weren't going to be able to fight us in the city. Uh, so I think a lot of those guys had, had, you know, either blended back into the city or, you know, escaped, you know, for different parts of the country. But what they left us was uh, IEDs all the way down the MSR. And so we'd gotten the intel that they had, they had pre-placed these uh, IEDs 
in hopes of once we left out of Fallujah, they would hit us on our way out. Uh, so we got, my platoon had gotten tasked with locating these IEDs, uh, you know, blowing them in place, disassemble them, you know, and, and continuing on. Uh, that carried on from probably, you know, zero nine in the morning till around 2100. Uh, we were supposed to, at that point, stop, you know, start kicking out night patrols. So from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., you're mm -hmm. patrolling. Correct. That's a long patrol. Yeah, and and, and when, what a lot of people you're don't not understand. just walking, <laughs> you know, you you are taking contact the entire time. You know, I mean, you're you know, we're taking shots, you know, little pop shots from you know one or twosies to full on, you know, our uh, mortars, RPKs, RPGs from the tree line. So yeah, I mean, we're doing that. You know, that's our mission, but we still gotta you know close with and destroy the enemy by firing close combat. Let's let's give people a sense of that because I, I don't you know I think people here. Um, you know, they, they think of like Forrest Gump walking along the, uh, the road <laughs> and you walk until you get to where you're going. The reality though is much different. Right. Explain to people what happens when you, when you catch fire from the flank, you catch mortars coming in. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You address it. How do you address it? By violence, by okay. sheer violence, overwhelming by sheer, violence. sheer violence and firepower. Okay. And, because I mean, it didn't sound like you were being ambushed. It sounded no. like you were taking harassing yeah yeah a little harassing fire. fire but one thing i can promise anybody on this planet is you never shoot at a marine and expect not to get shot back by him and all his friends you know we bring all the bullets all the party favors but yes we will eliminate you off the face of the earth if you take a shot at us and that was our stance is if you take a shot at us we we're going to come in there level your house kill everybody that's around you and continue on with our mission but the reality is you probably got some, uh, some Mujahideen mm -hmm. fighter taking a pot shot from one house, running out of there to another house. Yeah, they, they'll bounce, you know, they would dress in women's clothing. Uh, they would try to hit us with uh, vehicle-borne IEDs. Uh, you know, we had, art, uh, I'm sorry, Arthur. We had mortars firing at us, RPKs. You know, you, had, you would come up to a housing complex. You know, they would start, you know, trying to get into the fight too but do you chase them i mean do you, do you take you know infantry you, tactics close yeah work? yeah you take infantry tactics we don't leave the mission you know we still hold the ground that we've we've gotten but yeah you kick off some of your you know your fire team some of your squads uh you know we did have support at that time from third lar they gave us uh you know mobile support uh but and third, yeah and third, for people that don't understand an lar that's a uh it's an assault Right. Yeah. That yeah, is like, armored. Right. But much faster than. Yeah. Tank. Yeah. Much faster than us. But uh, you know, we did have that support. Uh, Fallujah, like I said, we had everything. Okay. Uh, you know, during that mission, we did have a SA-8 fired at one of our Cobras that was basically, you know, doing Overwatch for us. Uh, by the grace of God, that that round did not explode, and uh, it did take out the canopy. Uh, it did wound the pilot that pilot was able to land that Cobra in a field. A surface to air missile, an SA-8. SA-8. Hits, hit the, hits canopy. the Cobra helicopter. Mm -hmm. Hits the canopy where the, heli where the, where the, the, the pilot sits. Correct, yeah. It doesn't detonate. Didn't detonate. Uh, the pilot, it was, he was severely injured. I will say the pilot was severely injured. He did survive his injuries, but he did land that, that Cobra. Now, unfortunately, when a co Cobra comes down in a... <laughs> in a hot area that that cobra turns into a bullet sponge real sure. quick uh so 
that patrol that we were now doing to clear the MSR now became a trap mission. Uh, so now we, now we had to transition into, into now we had, yeah, to recovery. So recover the pilot, recover the gunner and get our aircraft, you know, out of the, out of the kill zone. And, uh, that happened very quickly, very quickly, very violently. What time of day was that? This was probably, uh, in civilian time, it was probably about 730. So 7.30 right, PM? yeah, sun's starting to go down. Okay. Uh, bad guys are starting to come out. And, uh, okay, so you're, you're on a mission to clear the MSR of any, and, I, and I, I, don't, I don't want to get too far away from that, but you're on a mission to clear the MSR of any uh, landmines mm -hmm. uh, or IEDs. Then the, your supporting helicopter gets hit. Correct. I mean, how in the world a guy survives when, the, when a missile goes through the canopy yeah. and doesn't explode? Doesn't make, yeah. How he survives any of that is beyond me. But at that point, now you have a new mission. Correct. Your new mission now is... Tactical recovery of air personnel. Correct. Trap mission, yep. right? Okay. So he's taken fire. Mm -hmm. And obviously you don't run right to him. No, no. You determine where yeah, the fire's coming where from? Yeah, we fire's coming from. Okay. Basically set up a, you know, a blanket of protection for him and then eliminate the threat. Uh, that was done very quickly. Okay. Very quickly. Um, and then we were able to get that Cobra, you know, off station pretty quick and then now you fall back into your mission. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you go through these emotional roller coasters of like, man, what the hell is going to happen next? You know, that's uh, a long day. That was a real long day. Because man. what people don't understand is when you're patrolling the mental, physical and emotional oh, toll. Yeah, it's exhausting, you know, and, and yeah, you are taking fire. You know, you are taking indirect, you know, you're calling in air support. Uh, it, it doesn't stop. Like I said, that mission continues no matter what. It's not going to stop. You know, you're having a bad day or you can't go on anymore. Doesn't matter. You got to push through that, Merle. You know, you're pushing through it. Mission's going to get accomplished. And that's where a lot of that leadership came in is, hey, yeah, I know this wild shit just happened, but we still have a mission and we got to continue to push forward. And that's what we did. So um, when did you get wounded? Uh, Shortly after nightfall, we found one IED uh, using thermal. We detonated in place. We got back on the road and they had daisy chained it and we just didn't catch it. And one of my Marines, Lance Corporal uh, Lensing, which is no longer here, uh, he passed away after that deployment, uh, looked down and said, hey, Sergeant V, found another IED. And I'm thinking down the road and I says, you know, we're at and he looks literally right down and probably th three feet between us there was uh that was it uh i never really saw it uh people ask me all the time if, if i heard anything or saw it no i felt the heat i saw a light and that was it and then i uh, woke up in uh at tq at the field aid station and uh i had with myself was lance corporal lensing um zeter and uh thomas had all gotten wounded by that IED attack. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, nobody was killed. Uh, Holloway did take some serious injury, some serious shrapnel through his leg, which caused him to leave country. And uh, I woke up in the hospital and I knew that's not where I needed to be. Uh, it took a day or two to kind of get my senses back. Uh, once I realized that my injuries weren't that bad, um, 
I started thinking about my exit strategy of how to get back. Uh, the MO informed me that I would not be going back, that I was going to be getting on a bird, headed to Kuwait, and then headed to Germany for evaluation. And I didn't like that plan. Uh, I knew that my Marines were out there fighting. And at that time, I decided that I would uh, probably leave TQ and rejoin my Marines. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of <laughs> controversy after that. But uh, yeah, I wasn't going to leave my guys out there. Were you successful in getting out of the hospital? Absolutely, 100%. Marines are always successful with their mission. Uh, I waited. <laughs> I notified uh, my buddy, uh, well, one of my Marines, Stevenson. He was actually in there. Uh, he, he got there a day before from a, a mortar attack. He had taken some wounds, and I'd kind of got with uh, Stevenson. I said, hey, you know, what do you think about bouncing? And he was like, yeah, I'd kind of like to leave. <laughs> And uh, I said, all right, me too. So we had this Lance Corporal, I'll never forget her name, Lance Corporal Heathcliff. Uh, she was attached to uh, the field aid station there in TQ. And uh, we had asked her, you know, we didn't have any clothes, man. <laughs> they cut all the clothes off. So we just had hospital, you know, rags on. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we basically told her that we needed camis so we could go to the chow hall. And she brought us camis, and I realized how easy it was to get camis, so we needed boots. Uh, the boots were not as easy, and when she came back with the boots, I asked her if she could get, you know, a flak jacket, Kevlar, magazines. Um, I think she knew what we were planning on doing at that point, and she advised against it. Uh, she was obviously visibly upset. Um, she wasn't going to supply to get the flak jacket. She was and I informed her that those Marines would want me to have that gear. And so she did come back with gear for myself and Stevenson. And we uh, located 3-1. They were coming in, bringing, bringing their wounded and casualties in. And we just walked on board and said, hey, man, you know, we're with Bravo 123. Can you take us back to friendly lines? They didn't know any better. And, uh, yeah, we hitched a ride back. Uh, what what was the extent? I mean, I, I don't mean to say this with a chuckle, but I mean it, that that is just such a, an, an ingenious way to jailbreak. Yeah. <laughs> what was the extent of your injuries? Uh, well, I did uh, most of my. In believe it or not, thank God these guys weren't as smart as we were. But uh, when they placed that IED, they they dug in under the asphalt road. So when it went off, it basically shot out as a shape charge to our right flank. Um, so, so when you just give everybody a visual, when you say they, so like from the side of the road, correct? They dug away underneath the uh, uh, the asphalt. Yeah, underneath the asphalt and the gravel. Put it in there, and mm -hmm. so that when it did go off, the they thought it would go. They thought it would go up, but right. it went the direction of it least would, resistance, it, 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 which least was, resistance. Okay, right. Uh, so I did, ex I, I was exposed to, uh, overpressure, uh, being three feet away from two sure. one five fives. Uh, it did throw me back. My Marine said about 25 feet, uh, through lensing back quite a, quite a bit as well. Uh, I believe y'all were standing on the road. Then. Yeah, we were on the road. Okay. We were literally standing three feet in between it, lensing on one side, myself on another. Holloway on the far, Holloway was actually the furthest away in the field, and uh, he was the one that took the most damage. Uh, but like I said, you know, it, it, it traveled the path of the least resistance. Uh, and Tucker and Zeter were right behind me. Uh, 
obviously I was unconscious. Uh, my heart did stop at one point. Doc Owens uh, resuscitated me, got me back up. And uh, that's when they, you know, they got medevac in and, and flew us out. Uh, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Doc Owens and Orso and and Frazier, you know, because, you know, I, that would have been it. <laughs> that so your, so your injuries really weren't visible injuries. No, no. they. Uh, which, which is why you were able to walk out of the hospital. Yeah. And you I, said that was in, in Kuwait? No, no. This was in TQ, Takedam. Uh, okay. Right outside of uh, Ramadi. They were going to take you to. Right. Okay. Yeah. We were, we were headed to Kuwait that day and then on to uh, Germany. And uh, no, it just wasn't going to work out. Did that. anyone, did it, did it ever catch up to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was uh, I was told that I uh, was uh, UA, uh, you know, un unlawful absence. Uh, I had a really good XO at the time. You know him personally, uh, Colonel Roy. Was, okay. Yeah, he was the acting uh, CEO at the time. Our CEO had gotten injured as well uh, the day prior. Uh, so Colonel Roy was the uh, acting CEO, and. Uh, he pretty much made sure that all that went away. Uh, he did kind of give me a, you know, a sw swift knife hand, and but he understood the reasons behind it, and uh, he let me stay with the boys. So I, I gotta, I gotta ask: when you walk back into the, <laughs> in, into the uh, the campsite, yeah, were uh, they were they a little surprised to see you? They were absolutely surprised. I didn't, you know, you. You don't really realize the rumor mill until you're on the other side of the rumor, you know. And uh, I linked up with 3-1. Uh, I had to stay overnight with those guys. And uh, so me and Stevenson spent the night with, uh, had a little slumber party with 3-1. They took us in, took care of us. And that morning I had called, uh, I got on the radio and requested permission to re-enter friendly lines. Now we're on a, you know, we're on a, on a protected freak and uh using brevity codes and i get on there and and you know this is echo 5 bravo requesting permission to re-enter friendly lines say again this is echo 5 bravo request and say again okay bravo uniform i'm spelling out my name phonetically and i hear is this b game <laughs> like yes this is b game b game hell yeah man come on colonel roy <laughs> Is and, that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Colonel Roy was the first one I talked to in the unit uh, on my way back. And so he greeted me when I got there. Uh, he, he probably greeted you with open arms. Oh, my God. Yeah, greeted you with hug. a bit of a hug. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then said, sit down. I got to chastise you because what you just did is not, is not what you're uh, supposed to do. Maybe not to that extent. He wasn't too upset about it. He was more like, how the f hell did you survive? Uh, they told us you were dead. Did they really? So they, that was the rumor mill. Yeah. Yeah. They told him I wasn't going to survive my injuries. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I, and I did, did them it wrong? Navy medicine. Did it stay with you? Did it, I mean, were, were, was that the end of it or? No, I was a little, you know, my guys were a little kind of like, you know, watching after me a little bit more than they usually did. Uh, I did take a couple of days, you know, I mean, I, I did suffer pretty, substantial concussion i did lose vision i did lose all the hearing in my right ear for i mean for for months after that uh my equilibrium was still kind of iffy i tried to keep that on the down low uh my symptoms start, slowly started to subside and i could get a little bit more active uh 
three days after I did rejoin the unit, we did go out on a patrol and I knew going back to leadership that my guys looked at me in a different way previously. You know, they, they knew Sergeant B game was going to be kicking in the door with us, fighting with us. You know, I was going to help lead the charge. And I think they thought maybe some of my thunder was gone. And so I had to prove them wrong. Uh, we had gotten a call about some unexploded ordinance that had landed in a courtyard at a residential home in Fallujah. Uh, EOD at that time, you ain't calling them. You know, they were spread so thin, yeah. man. They were busy boys, man. Uh, so I took it upon myself, remembering a previous incident where an RPG had gotten stuck into a wall and watched EOD yank it out of the wall and just being like, that's probably the craziest thing I've seen on the battlefield up to that point. And talking with that EOD guy and saying, hey, man, how, why did you do that? And he said, if it didn't blow off then, it wouldn't go blow off you know, now. And so we got to this area where there was some unexplored ordinance. Uh, and it was probably about two feet into the ground. And I just told the Marines, I said, back up. I'm going to find out what's going on with this. And yeah, we dug it out. And I kind of looked back. It was more for show. I knew that that round wasn't going off. And when I saw what round it was, I definitely knew it wasn't going off. So it was more for show to kind of put the Marines at ease, like, you know, Sergeant B game's still with us. You know, he's still he's okay. hard charging. Yeah, he's okay. Right. He's still taking stupid risk, you know. But I wanted them to feel more at ease, like, hey, you know, if B game can push through that, then we won't have any problem pushing through it. And uh, those guys, I mean, they showed up every day to work, every day. And they literally gave 110% every single mission. Every well, you time. returned from the dead. They're probably half scared of you at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I did catch a little shit for that, but, but uh, you know, it was all it was all all good. You know, I mean, it, it definitely could have went very badly. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't the only close call, man. I mean, we had guys I mean, we had an RPG go through one of our trucks, took out the rear differential, landed in the street. You know, that truck instantly came to a stop, you know, and come to find out. Yeah. Asshole on the roof just fired an RPG at one of our trucks and did not detonate, you know. So, I mean, there was so many close calls like that, man. And, you know, I was never really a religious guy. Uh, but, yeah, I found religion there in Iraq. You know, there was definitely a higher power watching over, you know, what we were doing. Uh, just, I mean, just some of the amazing things that we saw there on the battlefield that guys, you know, survived, you know, myself included. That, you know, you can't just go back and say that was a coincidence, you know. And like I said earlier, man, I'll, I'll take that to my grave that, you know, we as a unit did not lose one guy. We, I mean, we might've all got banged up, battered, shot, you know, scraped up, but we, everybody came home alive. That's amazing. That was amazing. I want you to think in terms of if you were teaching a class, okay, about your experience. And at the beginning of that class, as any good Marine would do, they're going to give... <laughs> These are your learning objectives. Right. What is the learning objective that you want people to take away when they hear your stories? For the active duty Marines that are still serving now, uh, you know, trust your training, trust your leadership, and trust that Marine on the left and the right. Um, because when those bullets do start to fly, and I touched up on it earlier, that training will take over. It almost, it comes second nature. You don't think about it. It's your body literally just taking over and doing what it needs to do to accomplish the mission. Uh, but trust, trust in, 
in your leadership, trust in your own personal abilities, trust in your physical fitness and, uh, you know, strive to do better, be better, you know, take in that warrior culture that we live by, you know, immerse yourself into it, study history, study the past, study other battles, you know, and that's what I did. You know, that's what exactly what I did. I studied past battles. I, you know, read on how, you know, how these guys make it through this. You know, was it just sheer numbers or was it tactics? Okay, let's get into the tactics. You know, I was always about the tactics. Uh, but yeah. So train mm -hmm. and trust your training. Trust your training. What about for people that don't have the same kind of uh, uh, training experience as you did in, in the Marine Corps? It's hand in hand. You know, even in the, in the professional world, you know, we're all trained at some point. Flipping burgers, running a multi-million dollar corporation, at one point you receive training, you know, immerse yourself into that training. It's not just reading a book and, and checking the box, man, you know, read into it, know your job, know what you are supposed to do, you know, and that goes with everything. There's nothing wrong with being better. You know, people say, oh, you know, we shouldn't try to be better than, no, you absolutely should be. You absolutely should strive to wake up every day and be better than the person on your left and your right. Because if he's doing the same thing, you're going to have an epic group, an absolute epic group. B game, as, as you well know, carry the load is about making sure that we honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice, never Absolutely. got to take off the uniform. Um, we've got a, an individual you know pretty well here sitting next to us uh, mm -hmm. with his mobile storyboard. Tell us about Baez. That's uh, Doc Baez. Um, yeah, I might get a little choked up, man. I was talking to his wife yesterday on the phone, man. And, you know, we have laughs and, and we still have cries, man. And that was 2005 when we lost him. Doc Baez, you know, he wasn't just that storyboard, man. There's a lot more to that dude. He was a Marine. He was a Marine before he was in the Navy. He was a Marine. He was a recon Marine uh, on top of that. Uh, but he just had a sense of service that that has trumped anybody I've known. I mean, that dude literally and unfortunately gave his life for his Marines. Uh, but yeah, he was he was a badass, straight up badass dude, man. And he uh, once he got out of the Marine Corps, he decided to go to the Navy. He was going to be a SEAL. Uh, met Rosanna while he was in uh, corpsman tr you know, training and uh, they hit it off, ended up getting married. Uh, they had four beautiful kids, uh, three daughters, which were the hell of them. How did he pass? He was killed outside Ramadi uh, by a sniper. Dropped him. And, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, there was so much more for Baez, man. Uh, he was in the process of getting his law degree, man. Dude was going to be a lawyer. One of the smartest dudes I ever met. And, I mean, he ran life like today was going to be his last day. He lived for every day. And everybody around him felt that. The dude was just an absolute joy to be around. I mean, funny. A, I mean, unbelievable tactician. Like I said, a corpsman? No, nah, we, we treated him like a Marine. But he treated us like his Marines. You know, he took care of us. Uh, there's nothing, I couldn't say enough about this guy. I mean, you know, look him up. He's all over the internet, whatnot. You can hear his story. But, you know, that's not a storyboard. That's my brother. You know, Cesar yeah. Baez. Oh, yeah. Former Marine and 
corpsman, never got to take the uniform off. No. He died for you and me. Yeah, he died a warrior's death, that's for sure. And he was definitely a warrior. B-game, thanks. Absolutely, brother. I've Thank thoroughly you, man. enjoyed our conversation, and I always <laughs> look forward to the next one. Absolutely, bro. All right, man. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.